Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. PFTOT Monday edition, the things that we either didn't get to during PFT Live or things we would like to elaborate upon. And one thing we didn't get to, an update on the Jets search, Chris, for a new general manager. They have interviewed three candidates. They will be interviewing one more today. We know who the four are. It looks like Joe Douglas, the Eagles vice president of player personnel, is the favorite at this point to get the job. A decision could come quickly. I can't help but but think that this was all just kind of I know sure check the box just, check the box I check agree. the box and give it to Joe Douglas. Well, this was the this was the guy that I believe you and I heard from you know heard from the get go. You know even before the rumors were out that weekend of the draft weekend that McCagna might be fired. I mean I was already hearing rumors that Joe Douglas could be the guy there. You know so uh, you're right it's no surprise and he's certainly worthy. I mean one we know he has some history with Adam Gase that's good. But forget all that. The resume is legit. I mean, when you work on that Baltimore Ravens organization under Ozzie Newsome and DaCosta and some of the other smart people they've had there over the last few years, you go to the Chicago Bears, and even though it was a short time there, there were some impressive things done. And then really the building of this, this Philadelphia Eagles team, I know he played a big part in that as well. Uh, this will be a good signing for the New York Jets, and I think it's more than just about the relationship with Adam Gase. Yes, it works, but I think this guy has earned the right to be this guy and would be towards the top of just about everybody's list next year uh, in the GM search, if it were to be. Douglas interviewed on Sunday. Scott Fitterer, the Seahawks co-director of player personnel, interviewed last week, as did Saints director of pro scouting Terry Fontenot. And Champ Kelly, the Bears director of player personnel, will be interviewing today. Four candidates, not the kind of sweeping interview process we had expected, but this tells me that they're doing what I think they should do. Don't go out and find the best person for the job with no prior attachment to or knowledge of Adam Gase, because that person may come in wanting to hire his own coach sooner yeah. rather than later. Get somebody that Gase has worked with, that Gase can work with, and tell both of those guys, Chris, this is it. Yeah. You're accountable. Right. If it doesn't work, you're both gone, and we're going to start over again. Yeah, no, exactly right. You're right. And you got to have that kind of, uh, I think, threat there to make it work regardless. You're right, so that the GM does not work, you know, to his own agenda. You know, oh, well, I don't care what Adam Gase does. I'm going to get my own guy in here a year from now, two years from now. You kind of put that threat on both of them. They're going to find a way to work, you know, cohesively to make it all work. So, you know, again, I think it's a great move by the Jets. Uh, I think all four of these guys would be in the cream of the crop of the conversation for GM search next year. And it's good that, you know, at least guys like Champ Kelly and, and Joe Douglas, we, we know have a relationship uh, with Adam Gase, that there's some, some comfortableness with that relationship and, and the conversation about football. And, you know, the bottom line is this. Woody Johnson, the owner of the team, could be back within the next couple of years. And there's a, a nagging sense that when he comes back, unless the Jets are true playoff contenders, 
everybody's going to be gone then, and he's going to start over with whoever he thinks can best take the team forward, presumably if we ever get to a point where Tom Brady retires and there's an opportunity to take over the AFC East. Speaking of the Patriots, the team that has ruled the AFC East for most of the last 20 years, we talked during the show about Rob Gronkowski's comments from over the weekend suggesting that he won't be coming back this year. We agreed, Chris, that Gronk doesn't know how he's going to feel when we get into September and October. He hasn't even had that hit his radar screen yet, that there's a chance I may miss this. There's a chance I may want to come back. There's a chance that the team may need me. But I keep coming back to this. Would Bill Belichick do something that is very opposed to his traditional way of thinking about team? I mean, if you're part of a team, you're part of a team, you're all in. You don't just show up in October, November and say, hey, sign me up for the rest of the season. That would seem to be contrary to Belichick's approach. And even if it would help the Patriots win a Super Bowl, I have that lingering image of Malcolm Butler standing on the sideline for all of Super Bowl 52 except for one special team snap, Bill Belichick is willing to risk short-term success in order to hammer home long-term messages. And I feel like his long-term message would be, you just don't pick and choose whether you're in or not. If you're not in, the guys who are here are the guys that we're going to go forward with, and you're not going to get on this train once it's already moving. Uh, typically, I would say you're correct. I do. I mean, I, I think that's the case for like 99% of all players that have ever played for Bill Belichick. You know, this is not getting in trouble like Malcolm Butler did, so it's a little different there. But we still don't know what he did 18 no, months later. No, we don't. I got some ideas, and I've heard a few things, certainly, and I know he broke some team rules. I could tell you that at the very least, and I know I, in the past I've kind of ventured onto the things I've heard through the the grapevine about what he did but you know I'll say this you know I think first of all Gronkowski is uh his DNA is is part of this New England culture right now to where so I I think he can be accepted in in a hurry if need be the other thing I'll just say I think Belichick Gronkowski's officially crossed that line of demarcation into Belichick legends you know I think like uh, Belichick with whether it was Lawrence Taylor or if it was a Tom Brady or, you know, some of the old great players of all time, I think he would give some of them Ty Law if he was still in shape. If you're, if you're able to still be in shape and prove that you can still play, I think these are the type of guys he's be willing to kind of break the normal rules for to go, okay, well, Gronk, you've proved to me enough that you know what you're doing. You're a professional. And yeah, I don't love this, but you're so damn good and a legend and everything we've done here in New England that you're such a big part of it. uh, I think he would allow it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens if it comes to that. Uh, and I feel like no matter what Gronkowski says now, I think he likes to to foster that mystery and that uncertainty. And it's just good. We're talking about Rob Gronkowski when otherwise we wouldn't be. And, right. and I think at some visceral level, he knows there's value in that. All right. We're still talking about Gerald McCoy because he's due to make a decision this week on his next team. But Bruce Arians was on ESPN on Friday and the Buccaneers coach was asked to explain why they ultimately did this swap from Gerald McCoy, the third overall pick in the 2010 draft and his $13 million salary to Indomitian Sue, the second overall pick in 2010, who will make $9.25 million in base pay. And Marion said that McCoy just didn't fit. And it was more along the lines of the defense that they're planning to run. And, and I get that. If the guy doesn't fit in the defense, then, then you don't keep him. But I always thought that the best coaches took whatever system they wanted to run and adjusted it 
to the talent they have. I mean, they, they just must not see an upside in Gerald McCoy that would be worthy of adjusting the defense to make it fit him. Well, I mean, he fits in any defense, Mike. This is a guy that's like borderline Hall of Famer type. I mean, he's certainly an NFL legend. I mean, he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he's going to be an NFL legend forever. He's going to go down as one of the better Buccaneers in the history of their organization. He fits. You know, to me, I, it's more than that. There's something more to this. You know, what? Like, what can he do that Ndamukong Sue can really do that would fit? What's the difference of the player there? You know, so that to me is coach talk. There has to be something there more with maybe the attitude of the player or maybe the changing the culture of their defense in general, and they just want new blood and a new look there. Uh, to me, the scheme fit thing is not going to sell with me. I mean, they're, they're, they play the same position, basically. Gerald McCoy, I would tell you, is maybe a little bit better with – shooting a gap and being quicker. Sue's probably a little bit better at handling double teams and the power aspect, but neither one is that much better at one area that I go, oh, this guy's, you know, so much better at this than that guy that you got to change him over for this scheme or whatever. No, to me, there has to be more than just uh, the scheme fit. It's not that. It has to be something about the player, the culture, something, at least in my eyes. One thing Arians pointed to is that Sue misses less time than McCoy. Now, Sue has okay. only missed two games in his entire career, and yep. they were due to suspension, not injury. McCoy's missed eight games due to injury in seven seasons, which I don't think is all that excessive. But uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's something more here, and I think it was a delicate PR situation for the Buccaneers because McCoy is a popular player. Right. He's, he's been there for nine years, and you better have a damn good reason for getting rid of him and bringing in this guy that's, that's kind of got that attitude, that edge, that, that guy who may take plays off, may take games off, uh, and and uh, you never know when he's going to stomp on someone's arm, although he's past those days of his career. You've got Arian saying he wants to still see that look in his eye. I just This has the potential, and this kind of characterizes the entire Buccaneers season this year. It's either going to be great or it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, it seems that way. I, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of personalities. Jameis Winston, Bruce Arians, and Dominican Sue, uh, just those three names alone. Uh, and, you know, you know, coaching changes, uh, unproven commodities on the defensive side of the ball. But there is some talent on this team, and uh, I would not be shocked if they surprise some people. They got an offensive explosiveness, you know, in their defense. You know, with Sue and Vita Villa and, you know, now Devin White at linebacker. And I think there are some young corners on this team that got some potential that, you know, they could be a team to watch out for, certainly. Pittsburgh Steelers working hard to replace Antonio Brown at the receiver position. And the receivers who are there have been talking about the efforts that they are undertaking to push each other to replace that production from Antonio Brown. And one of the things they're doing, Dante Moncrief, told Jeremy Fowler of ESPN.com that if you drop a pass, you've got to do 10 push-ups. Does that I mean, we, we we hear about that from time to time. If there's a penalty, you got to do push-ups. This, does that work? It seems kind of hokey to me. No, it, it does work. It does, yes. I mean, it's just another way to to refocus. I mean, is, it, is it the embarrassment of having to do the push-ups? Because anybody can do 10 push-ups. Hell, I can do 10 push-ups. Yes, but you don't always want to do 10 push-ups if you've just run, like, four post routes in a row. And then on that fourth one, the quarterback— You're not running them on your hands. Well, then the quarterback finally threw you one and you dropped it. And, yes, it's just, like, a little bit— 
bit like pay your penance for dropping the ball, you know, focus yourself. Yes. And we're all going to sit here and watch you for a second and probably yell some colorful insults at you while you do your push-ups and make funny the fact that you dropped the ball. So yeah, it's just a little way to kind of build on it, make it a point of emphasis. And, you know, ultimately does it make, is it a big difference? No, it's not going to make any difference. Ultimately what they got to do is catch more footballs, you know, have Jameis Winston throwing the ball uh, or, I mean, not Jameis Winston, Ben Roethlisberger or have the jugs machine shoot balls at them at their practice. That's usually what wide receivers do more than anything to uh, work on their hands. There will be a certain liberation, though, when it comes to Ben Roethlisberger's ability to just throw to the open man, because if Antonio Brown's double team, triple team, he's still open, you're still going to throw him a certain number of passes. Now, Roethlisberger can just throw it to the open guy. Brown missed a couple of games in 2017, and the item that we have posted at PFT points out that during Brown's absence, Roethlisberger completed passes to nine different players. Four guys had at least four catches each. So just find the open man. Yeah. Get open, and Roethlisberger's going to find you, and he's going to get it to you, and there won't be that. It's almost like it's, it's not to the same extent by any means, but after Calvin Johnson retired, I felt like Matthew Stafford became a better quarterback yeah, because he was you. unburdened right. by that necessity to, to feed the ball to Calvin Johnson, right. even if he's doubled. Right. There's no need to feed it to Antonio Brown now. You can just focus on the guy, the guy who's open, and when you have four or five guys running out into the pattern, somebody's going to be open eventually, and if you've been playing for 15 years now – at quarterback, you should be able to figure out within two or three seconds who that guy is. Mike, that's a great comparison with the Calvin Johnson thing, and and there's truth to that. You're right. I mean, when you have that star receiver, you know, it's always it's always one in the back of your mind as a quarterback. Oh, let me give him the ball. Let me give him the ball. And then he's so good, you throw him the ball sometimes when you shouldn't, even and you know you shouldn't, but you go, damn, he's good. He's triple covered. I'm going to throw it to him anyways. And yeah, that can get you into some bad habits. It gets the offensive coordinator into bad habits, Mike. Because he starts to go, oh, gosh, I got this Antonio Brown. He's so good. Let me put more plays in for Antonio. More, more, more. Let me call another play for Antonio. And then, yes, everybody loses their rhythm or place within the offense. And sometimes it makes you more predictable as an offense when you're featuring one guy so heavily like that. You know, like look at New England. You know, they found ways to spread the wealth around. You know, I certainly wanted to get a Gronk and Edelman. But there's always been other guys part of the fold, whether that's Amendola, Hogan, Dorsett, whatever. And that keeps you on edge because now you're worried about a system and not just one player and that's what can happen here and I think that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the AFC North, it's been Browns, Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Steelers, Ravens and the Bengals are probably saying, hey, what about us? Or maybe they're happy to not be paid much attention because they can go about their business undeterred or undisturbed or uninterrupted or unsomething. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, unprofessional would be that last five seconds for me. Anyway, the, uh, isn't this great? This is all live to tape. So if I screw up, we can't fix it. I used to do these, Chris, by the way, I used to do these VOD segments like one after another. And, and so if you misspeak, you just start the whole thing over. Cause it's only uh, two minutes long. So this uh, is great. I mean, we can't, there's no second take yeah, off we go. Yeah. Anyway, um, the Bengals, are installing their offense in a different kind of a way. Instead of installing it by position group specifically, Albert Breer of SI.com points out, they're installing the offense completely, yeah. all together, right. all players understanding the whole offense instead of narrowing the plays down to how it affects a certain group of players. Right. 
is that how unusual is that? And are there are there benefits and are there disadvantages to doing that? Yeah, I, I think it goes on maybe a little bit more than people would realize. Uh, I, there are benefits, certainly. You know, th- I think this, this is the big thing. You're learning the offense in its totality. You're getting to hear the language in its fullness all the time. You know, a receiver, you know, more times than not, just wants to hear his one little part. Oh, I got this route and let me break the huddle. Uh, but when you are learning a new system, you know, you can start to put the rhyme and reasons together of why certain things are called this and why they're called that. You learn the history of the offense. You might want to go, wait, why do we call this route this? And then we do a certain route that's very similar to it, but we call it something completely different. And the coach might explain to you, well, you know, this is where the origin of this play came from. Or, you know, hey, the offensive line has a similar call to the word you're saying we should use. So therefore, we went with another word. And you start to understand and really digest the offense and its totality a lot better that way. So I do think you'll have a better understanding all the time instead of you just learning your one little thing you need to learn about. Now, at some point, the receivers are going into their wide receiver room and they're talking about exactly what they have to do. But it sounds like they're having a lot of offensive full offensive meetings where they're teaching everybody a little bit of everything. And usually within those meetings, Mike, the position coaches are sitting close to their players too, to talk little finer details out in the meeting room as they go along. If, you know, let's say Zach Taylor's talking about the offensive line, the wide receiver coach can quietly whisper to the wide receivers, hey, you know, this, this, and this means that, and don't forget your rules. And it's a good way to put the offense in. Sorry for the long-winded answer. And, and I like on one hand the idea of everyone knowing what everyone else is doing. But on the other hand, you know what? Yeah. If, if I'm split left, I, there's a lot going on 40 yards away from me that is completely irrelevant to my assignment on this play. I think there's a certain value in being laser focused on what you are yes. asked to do. And it's up to the coaches to make sure the 11 players weave together. But I, I, get, I guess from the perspective of when things go haywire, which they often do, right. if you have an understanding of what the other guys are doing, then maybe you can react more quickly. But my God, to carry around in your head all of that information for every play that gets called, I just think that's unrealistic. Yeah, well, and, and, and listen, they're not sitting there like really dialed into what the offensive line calls are. They're just going, oh, okay, I hear that. And no, now I know to listen to my part at the wide receiver position. But what it does too, Mike, you know, the learning of the formations and things like that, you know, you could be the split out receiver to the left all game long, all game long. And all of a sudden, let's just say there's an injury at the wide receiver position, right? The slot receiver got injured. All of a sudden you got to move into the slot. And man, there's some different rules for the slot receiver and the language which is a little different and you know oh when we're in this formation there's little nuances that you have to know and I think that's where it's great to meet as a total offense as you just get to you know learn some of the things that you normally wouldn't learn from when the time comes that they might ask you hey we need you here it won't be such a drastic change or, or so shocking Let's not go completely to sleep on the Cincinnati no. Bengals. They, I think that's the best situation to be in where no one expects anything out of you. You can get your guys pissed off because they're being overlooked. You get a little yep. chip on the shoulder. You don't have the expectations that the Browns have. Maybe the Bengals can surprise some people this year. And maybe yeah. and, and if they do, I guarantee you this, more teams will be implementing their offenses this way if it works for the Bengals. That's how it goes in the NFL, right, Chris? No, you're right. Uh, you, more teams will go, oh, okay, wow, that worked. And, you know, if we start to hear, continue to hear players talk positively about it and the experience of learning that way, you're right. It will catch on with the NFL. But, Mike, main point, what you said, I love it, and you're right. Man, 
Hey, anybody out there, don't sleep on the Bengals. Look at the Bengals roster. They're still studs all over the place. I mean, that's why the AFC North is just unbelievable. You know, yeah, the Bengals are in the basement, but there's there's pro bowlers and Hall of Famers on this roster, uh, you know, with guys like A.J. Green and Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap and Kirkpatrick and William Jackson and Joe Mixon. You start to go through it, you go, wow, okay, this is not like the worst team we've ever seen. So I would not be shocked if they were, you know, pretty damn good this year yeah but they weren't good last year I mean but that's the thing look I I I said this recently you could have 32 teams that have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady on the payroll and you could have the entire you could you could make duplicates of all the players on the Patriots and have 32 teams and there's still going to be teams that are four and 12 yeah there's just certain things that happen over the course of whether it's scheduling bad luck bad calls untimely mistakes stuff happens and a lot of times it's that stuff that happens a little bit here and a little bit there that makes a team that would be 10 and six, six and 10. And, and that's just the reality. And the Bengals were bad last year, but it doesn't take much to turn it around. That's why so many teams that didn't make the playoffs one year end up in the postseason the next year. No, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you refocused human emotions, players, coaches, everybody's focused. There's edge, you know, within the building In this scenario with the Bengals, it's new coaches, it's new life, it's new energy. It's, Oh, let me impress my new coach. Let me impress press my new head coach. So everything is on the up and up in that organization right now to where, yeah, they're learning new things. Coaches are evaluating new players. Players are trying to impress the new coaches. And a lot of the times that leads to successful things once the season comes around. All right. Hey, great stuff, Chris. Monday is in the books. We'll be back on Tuesday with another PFT Live, PFTOT. When's the next Chris Sims unbutton? We'll be tomorrow, Tuesday morning. We will tape it and it should be out by Tuesday afternoon. All right, we'll look for it then. I'll do a PFTPM later today, and we'll see everybody bright and early Tuesday morning for another edition of PFT Live. Have a great Monday. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.